really is just a matter of, I think for me, it was like building up that tolerance to that feeling of impending doom <laughs> that comes with a lot of these tasks that come at us of like, oh my gosh, if I don't do it right now or today, it's, it's not going to get done and all of these other things are going to happen. I think it's just, it's just this practice of being patient, I guess, with the processes and knowing that um, unless it really is an emergency situation, it typically can just wait. Welcome to the Impact Leadership Podcast, brought to you by Cardavera, the leadership development ecosystem that helps you grow your leadership and grow your life. Today is episode 49, and our special guest is Julie Johnson coming to us from Iowa. And the title today is Protect Your Blocks, The Power of Time Blocks and Other Strategies for Getting Things Done. You know you struggle with it. I know I do. Craig does as well. The idea of getting things done, prioritizing our work, avoiding those distractions or misdirections that come up, and achieving our goals and objectives. So Julie is here today to give us some tools to help us be more consistent and more effective at getting the right things done. She's going to spend a lot of time with us today talking about the idea of setting time blocks, why they work, what gets in the way, and some very specific strategies to help us all be more effective at setting boundaries and consistently doing and honoring what needs to be done during those time blocks. She's gonna give us a whole lot of other ideas to help us all just be more consistent and prioritized in our execution and achieving those important objectives. So get ready for some tools that will really transform the ways that you get things done. podcast where we explore leadership business and personal growth to help you grow your business and live a richer life we're your hosts jeff dishwitz and craig matthews we believe that leaders have to put their people first and if you don't have time to grow your people then you're not leading get ready for conversations that will challenge your thinking and help you transform your leadership and your business welcome to your bigger business and bigger life we have another fascinating guest today, this time coming from Iowa. I think this is our first guest actually from Iowa, Craig. So that, yeah, put a star yep. on the map for that one. <laughs> that's, probably, that's probably a cool idea. We could, that's something to do. That's, we're going to do that. We're going to create a... We need, we need the world map stuff. now. Well, I know, exactly. We what I'm looking map. for is when we have to have the celestial map and, you know, go out to somebody who's been on the moon and, you know, stuff like that. But, hey, Iowa is a great spot because we haven't been there yet. We have not been there. We are now, and we are here today with Julie Johnson. Uh, she's got a couple of things going on. Number one, she's the president of a company called Heart and Solutions, which is a counseling agency, a mental health agency, which I'm fascinated to learn more about that. Hmm. She's also the founder of Stories from the Heart, which self-publishes children's books that are um, come in the therapeutic realm, the therapeutic realm, right, Julie? Yes. Yeah, so... I'm excited to hear a lot about that, and, and Julie's got a lot of wisdom to bring us today, not just about her businesses, but about the idea of getting things done and doing it more consistently and predictably. So welcome, Julie. Thank yeah, welcome. you. Thank you for having me. It's great Thanks to be here. here. So Julie, give us a little bit of the Julie Johnson story that brings us today. 
Sure. Um, so I was kind of a late bloomer in career wise. Um, I went back to grad school when I was 28 um, and it was a three year graduate program in mental health counseling. I moved to Iowa from Massachusetts and happened to luck into one of the only KCREP accredited counseling uh, master's programs at that time was like 10 minutes away. And so <laughs> I said, okay, there's something here. Like I, I should do this. Uh, so I ended up, I did that master's program here in Iowa. Um, and then I started working at a counseling agency. The place that I wanted to work didn't have any jobs for master's level providers at that time open. And they said, we've got this bachelor's level job. Do you want it? And I said, yeah, I want to work here. Give me that job. So took that job, did some bartending on the side to supplement. Um, over the course of the next three and a half years, um, worked my way up through that company um, and became vice president of that organization. And that organization was about the size of of my current organization. So uh, in that time, I learned a lot about what it means to be a provider, a therapist, but I also learned a lot about what it means to be an employer and what it means to be a manager and how those are different things. Um, and I always thought they were the same and they are not the same. <laughs> and, so, um, and so in 2014, I was, uh, I was working as vice president at this other company and my dad always said um, the biggest trap in life is a good job. And that was a really good job. <laughs> and I always was like, why don't you think it's good that I'm vice president? I am vice president, dad. And he'd be like, when are you going to start your own thing? <laughs> I was like, I'm, awesome. I'm vice wow. president. Come on. So uh, anyway, so it, it turned out that he was right. My dad was right about a lot of things. <laughs> uh, he used to call me Dr. McDonald to be, and I'd say, I'm not going to get my doctorate. I have my master's. I'm done with school. And now I'm in school getting my doctorate. <laughs> Um, but anyway, my husband also said, if you want to work at a certain place, you've got to create that place. Uh, mm. And I knew where I wanted to work and I hadn't found it other places. And so I said, OK, I'm going to create it. So my job went from manager to entrepreneur, I guess. Now, uh, my job was supervising, was originally doing counseling then supervising counselors, then supervising supervisors of counselors. Um, and now my job is supervising people who supervise the supervisors. Okay. <laughs> so you just keep going up this uh, food chain, I guess, or becoming a bigger and bigger fish. I don't know how you want to describe it, but wow. that's kind of my story. And then along the way, all of my hobbies have become my businesses. So um, I, I, used to walk on the treadmill all the time and think of all these kid ideas, like these kids story ideas and like write them out on my phone. And now they're illustrated. And, you know, one of them is, wow. is a book. Um, and so uh, my daughter and I run a nonprofit organization that helps raise money for pets that are displaced by domestic violence. So I, I used to be a volunteer advocate for that. Um, they, there is not very much funding for pets in those situations to uh, be able to follow safety plans and keep pets safe from abuse and harm while people escape domestic violence. So we do that, I officiate weddings. I just do a lot of things. Um, and so my job title at Heart and Solutions is president, founder, but 
in general, I would say entrepreneurs. <laughs> well, I love you have the cheering <laughs> section, right? You had your, your dad saying, come on, I'm going to push you a little bit, get, get out there. And then your husband is saying basically the same thing. So, mm-hmm. hey, with, with a good support network, I mean, wow, sky's the limit, right? Uh, uh, well, so you, as you were speaking, Julie, you made me think about a um, graduation speech I listened to recently. It's from a few years ago. It was Jim Carrey. And he was doing this university um, commencement speech. It's a fabulous speech and not what you would think you'd expect from Jim Carrey. because It was really <laughs> profound. And one of his lines in there that he had learned from his father is that you can fail at anything. You might as well fail at something you love. Uh, wow. Yes. Right. That's love just that. boom. That's a boom. Um, yeah. Cause you can fail at everything. And so I got a new one now that the, the greatest trap is a great job. <laughs> <laughs> Fortunately, I have uh, I learned to how to get out of that trap. Mm-hmm. It took a while, but I learned. I can learn. He's a so recovering attorney. Yeah. <laughs> I want to. Not sure where all this is going to go, but I'd love to hear more about the books because you you talked about it quickly. It's called Stories from the Heart, and tell us a little bit more about what these books are about and what's the why behind that. Absolutely. So I have a four-year-old daughter um, and these books are for her. So these are the stories that I tell her at night. Um, and until recently, I would just read them off my phone. Um, <laughs> and then I found an illustrator and she started. And so then I print them out and read them to her on printed computer pages. And then uh, we printed one of the books. And so now it's like, wow, this is a real book, you know? And she said that too. She was like, mommy, it's a real book. And, um, and so they're written for her, um, but I'm also, I'm a counselor. And so this one um, is called Breathing Through the Year. I know it's not all video, but um, on the video, it's called Breathing Through the Year. And it is 12 different breathing techniques for children, mainly preschoolers. So those three, four, five, and even six-year-olds Um, to be able to make breathing fun and to make the experience of breathing in order to calm, self-soothe, in order for um, conflict resolution, and to have that activity with family members that they can go to when they're upset. So my daughter always says, when we're mad and sad and cranky, that's when we need to breathe. And she reminds me all the time. She'll say, mommy, we need to do a breathing. And, and then we do one. Um, and I just love that. It's, it's for her. It works for her. She's done them since she was two. Um, and now she makes up her own. And she says, mommy, I made up a new one. We were out hiking the other day. And she said, I have a new one. It's called Surprise Landing. And she, she did this breathing. And I said, let me get my video recorder so I can put this on our YouTube channel because it was great. And she said, you need to put that in the next book. And I said, well, yeah, that'll be your book. Awesome. Um, and so they, they're all different themes. So um, I actually have one series on chakras um, because like I didn't understand chakras until I was in my 30s. And uh, so... I thought for kids, the idea of being able to explain this to them uh, in a way that makes sense and rhymes and is fun and is colorful, um, I thought would be helpful. Um, We also have the one I'm working on right now is called My Sister's Sister is My Sister. Um, My Sister's Sister is My Sister. So 
<laughs> it's about different kinds of families. So uh, in the book, it talks about, you know, her her sister and then kind of her stepsister's sister um, and how they are all a family. Wow. Um, so just different things that kids are learning about and have experienced that aren't typically in books. Wow. I think it's really interesting because most people would think, well, why do we need to read a book on breathing? I mean, isn't breathing like as simple as breathing, right? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> we do it all the time, right? Yeah. But I think it is, it is so profound how much a, an intentional breathing can, mm-hmm. can help with that stress reduction. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I have that conversation all the time with my friends and coaching clients. And I'll say, you know, you need to breathe. And they'll say, no, I am breathing. I said, no, you're surviving. Mm-hmm. You're surviving, but you're not actually breathing. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting sometimes how much people resist breathing. Yes. Intentionally. But I love that you're doing it with kids because I think so often that's something that comes to adults once they've completely exploded their lives. And so stressed out that they can't even yes. find time for a book to Fair. give a child those tools at an early age. Yes. And I love how, she, and it's so cool, your story of how she reminds you. Yes. She does. Yeah. Wow. And this yeah. is, is this the four-year-old that also you co-founded the nonprofit with? Yes. Um, so she is my business partner in the nonprofit. Wow. Um, and I do that because if she's an employee of the nonprofit, she can, I can start an IRA for her at even this age, which is, <laughs> it's, I'm currently writing a book that's called like, it's too late for you, but, but do these things for your kids. Um, and that's one of them is that people don't know they can start businesses and they can hire their kids and then their kids have income and their kids can have an IRA even at the age of four. Um, and so that was something that I learned and I went, oh my gosh, we got to do something. And so um, she and I bake homemade dog treats and we sell them at the farmer's market. And that's how we raise money for awesome. this nonprofit. Um, and then different, like her dance studio donates their lost and found items once a month. And then we wash them, we consign them and then uh, we raise money that way. So it's all things that she can really just hands on be part of. She's the one using the cookie cutters to cut out the dog treats and uh, sitting at the farmer's market and handing them out to people. And so um, it's just really exciting for me wow. to see that in her um, and to be able to spend time doing things like that with her. Cause that's what gets me fired up is starting businesses. Um, and so if I can do that and spend time with my kid, that is like, the ultimate for that me. is that is so good yeah absolutely i mean i'm we're on the other side of that our, our children are grown and it's it's just really interesting to see where they come i you know my one of my children in particular was that very precocious you know learned to read at two and a half and has just developed and you know gone on to his master's program and yada yada and it's just so interesting to watch each stage but starting off by by helping them understand how to respond to stress and to take control over their situation and their health in those environments. Wow, what a great way to start a foundation for um, a person. So many, I I love the so many lessons she's learning, but Mm -hmm. experientially, not through, she's learning through the experience. Like the one that hit me is like with your nonprofit, I'd never thought about that. The pets 
they're in these domestic relations situations. Yeah, I hadn't thought about it. So to me, that's like teaching her that what's what's the problem? Find a solution for the problem. And that's how we create businesses. That's how we, we solve problems. What we do, we don't start businesses. We solve problems. Yeah. And so I'd love to hear, I'm fascinated by your, your agency. It's called, called heart and solutions. Tell us about why heart and solutions. Yeah. A counseling um, agency. So a lot of people, when they hear it, they think it's Heartland Solutions because a lot of things in Iowa are Heartland, um, Heartland Seed and Heartland this and that. But Heart and Solutions, um, we actually did a project um, uh, when I used to work at this other agency. Um, A couple of my friends there and I did a, a separate project called Heart and Souls where we collected donations of socks. Um, and we brought them and distributed them to different places. So um, it was sock donation. And so it was heart and souls um, and souls of your feet. And I was actually, I was born in Seoul, Korea. Mm. Um, and so for me, that really kind of stuck with me. I was like, oh, I love that. It's like heart and soul, Seoul, Korea to me. Um, and then we are solution focused agency. So there are all different types of counseling and uh, different theories and different methodologies. But at our base, we've got people with all different backgrounds. But at our base, we are a strength-based agency and we're a solution-focused agency. Um, And that permeates through whichever technique you're getting. So if you're doing EMDR, you're doing DBT um, in your counseling session, at the very heart of it, you are solution-focused and your strength based. Oh, very good. Yeah. In fact, I have a, we have a mutual friend, Nicole Lowe, who is CEO of Soul Life, S-O-L-E Life, and it's a coaching agency, but she is very, very focused on DBT. Mm -hmm. So kind of interesting. And my, my son spent a year in Seoul, Korea, so he, he loved it out there. Wow. Very cool. Wow. So you're uh, doing EMDR. We, yes, I don't, personally do EMDR, but we do that in our agency. But, that's, yes. but not a lot of agencies are doing that. I mean, that's I'm not, not familiar with that. What is EMDR? Yeah, it is um, eye movement desensitization reprogramming. So EMDR, eye movement desensitization, or eye movement desensitization reprogramming. And okay. what it is, is the premise is that um, our brains can be rewired intentionally using what's called bilateral stimulation. Okay. So um, the, the way that uh, the researcher who founded this, the way that she realized that this was a phenomenon was she would go walking and she would look at the trees and count trees as she walked. And that's actually an, an older therapeutic technique uh, for mindfulness and for um, self-soothing is when you're walking, you, you kind of look at the trees. And she noticed that she felt more of a sense of common ease when she would go back and forth between the trees that she was counting, as opposed to just counting the ones on one side or the other side. And so she said, there's something to this. And so she started doing research. And what happens is that um, it it ties a little bit into um, also the theory of psychoanalysis by Sigmund Freud, which a lot of people think is like outdated, but it, it ties into everything that we're currently doing. And so with uh, Freud's theory, 
we have our subconscious mind and we have our conscious mind, right? Everybody's heard of kind of like id, ego, super ego. And what EMDR does is it combines the two. So there are all kinds of subconscious ideas, thoughts, feelings, um, stories within ourselves that our, our conscious mind doesn't even know is mm-hmm. there. Um, but it comes out in all kinds of behaviors that we may have. It comes out in our reactions to things that other people go, why, why were you so upset by that? And we go, I don't know, but that really bugged me. Um, and it's because of ideas, thoughts, feelings, beliefs that are programmed into our subconscious mind. But we can't make the connection of like, oh, that makes sense why that would be upsetting to me. So with EMDR, what we're doing is we're taking the information from our subconscious mind, making it conscious. And so we're going back and forth between the two so that kind of those two parts of our consciousness can communicate with each other. Um, And so we, we can do that through eye movements. Um, where the provider will have, and actually right now we're doing EMDR through telehealth, which is so cool. Um, And so if we were doing a session right now, uh, I would be here, you'd see me on the screen and I might have a pointer like like this. Um, And I would go back and forth and I would kind of ask you to follow it with your eyes across the screen as we talk about beliefs that you want to let go of and we program in new beliefs that are going to help you uh, achieving your goals. And so you can program out beliefs that are not helping you. You can program in beliefs that are true and that are going to help you. So if there's a core belief that's standing in your way of I'm a failure, right? Or like everybody hates me um, or anything like that, you can identify that core belief. You can program it out and you can program in a new belief which is wow. not everybody has to like me. <laughs> wow. So it, it sounds like there's a couple different things that it looks like, you know, going back and forth kind of reminds me of hypnotism, but then I also think sure. about eye movement in relation to NLP and, you know, sure. some of the programming there. Yeah, absolutely. Huh. This is used a lot in with trauma situations, isn't it? Yes. Really? Yeah. A lot of people who have deep seated traumas, PTSD as well. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, it's because it's amazing it, work. I mean, it's really amazing. It's really helping a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, it's interesting. It's I mean, that's kind of a detail of what you do, which is fascinating. I, I'm intrigued by the idea that I don't know that people, including me, always think about industries like yours in the business context. Mm-hmm. Right. Like they're so often thought of as being a practice and a bunch of people come to practice, but you have a business, as you said, entrepreneur. You started a business and what you, the services you happen and the solutions you provide are in the mental health realm, but really it's not any different than any other service-based business. That's right. Yeah, there are some differences. So, and being aware of those, I think is just so important because sometimes we'll make decisions and we'll say, if we made socks, this would be a totally different decision that we would make, right? If this was a factory or if we were uh, hairstylists, right? We'd be making a totally different business decision right now um, than maybe we are as a counseling agency. But um, I think that what we, what I've observed in the field is that, yeah, there are in the social services, because there are a lot of government run organizations, because there are a lot of nonprofit organizations, um, 
there kind of is this sense that social services are kind of like a charity, um, or <laughs> social service, right? And like, I'm not running a charity. Um, I'm running a business and I'm providing a really helpful service to people. Um, right. And so I'm, and that service is valuable. Um, that service impacts a lot of people's lives in a beneficial way. And so um, some organizations are not run as businesses, but <laughs> we can't serve people and give them that service if the business side is not solid. Right. Um, and it takes both sides. So my husband and I actually run this business together um, and he is the spreadsheet QuickBooks person and I am the clinical person. And I think it kind of takes that because yeah. um, typically I won't speak for every counselor, but typically counselors tend to be very, very strong in communication in emotional intelligence, in uh, empathy and understanding and not as strong in math. Um, <laughs> uh, we call it counselor math, actually, how uh, certain things come out just not right. Um, and so both are so, so important to being able to provide consistency for clients because it does our clients no good if we give them services for two months and then we go out of business uh it it doesn't help anybody right wow. so i'm curious how long have you been and well i won't start that way are you still functioning in a counselor role or are you more running the enterprise now yeah that's a good question i'm i'm not functioning in a counselor role um so when i first started this business it was just me and uh and i had a full caseload and uh and then we started adding people and um i stopped seeing clients myself about two years ago um and i do some assessments still uh, i do some diagnosis diagnostic assessments just to keep up with those skills and make sure i have some client contact but um, i really had to focus in on what is my job that nobody else in this organization can do now i can hire therapists to see clients. Um, and I can hire therapists who are way better at seeing clients than I am. And there's a lot of them. And we've got a lot of them on our team. Um, they're great at that. But if I'm doing that job, and I'm not doing the job that only I can do in the agency as founder and president and, and running the business side of things, um, then nobody's doing that. And then, then those clinical services are not going to be around for long. So that was a really hard decision to do. Um, and also the decision to hire people to then manage the supervisors. Um, that was also a really difficult decision to kind of let go of each thing as I kind of grabbed on to the next, that next level. Well, that was going to be my next question, because I think that in any business where you typically start as a doer, I mean, and I did as a lawyer, that's where I started, you know, mm -hmm. that you're a doer. And in fact, you're, you're in the legal business, unfortunately, in my opinion, you typically never get out of the doer role. It's a rare person who gets mm -hmm. to the point that all they're doing is running the business. Uh, and it's a challenge, though, to let go of that. And so you mentioned that it was challenging for you to do that. Yeah. I think it's an important role of the leaders to be willing to just what you said, this is what I'm really good at and I'm good at that, but I, I need to let that go because I can't be effective over here yeah. if I don't let that go. Right. Yeah. It got to the point where 
I, I had to get to the point in order to overcome the guilt that I felt with not having a caseload. I felt like when I was moving from being a provider into being a supervisor of providers, um, it felt like I wasn't pulling my weight in the company, right? Like, oh my gosh, I'm getting pulled along by other people. Um, and it there was a lot of guilt associated with that. Um, there was a lot of just feeling like, um, I wasn't like, I didn't deserve to not do that kind of work every day. Um, but to do this kind of work every day. Um, so follow my pen. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. No, but I mean, there is reprogramming, else? right? Because um, you're, you're going from that individual contributor to a different role, which requires you to be more focused on the people side right. rather than the, the doing side. Absolutely. That's right. And I used to have to write on my whiteboard. We had a whiteboard. I used to have to write on there. Meetings are work. <laughs> <laughs> that that really? may send the wrong message too. Meetings are fun. I would get through a day of <laughs> meetings with team members, with providers, yeah. with, with supervisors, and I'd get to the end of the day and think, I didn't do anything today. I didn't do any work today. <laughs> but I just had eight meetings, right? right. Um, and so I had to remind myself, like, when I'm doing these things, I am working. Just because it's fun doesn't mean I'm not doing important work. Right. Wow, yeah. you, you're really hitting on something here, Julie, that we have not talked about a lot. But as you're speaking, I'm realizing how many times I've seen it, mm. where people who are evolving as leaders into more what we call a traditional leader role, yeah. that the struggle of the guilt you talked about is they're so, um, their identification and value and worth is attached to being the doer. Like I've told, you know, one of the biggest challenges people see is someone elevates and all of a sudden they say, why are their hands in everything? And part of it is because their day is now different. You know, frankly, if you evolve to the president's CEO level, there will be days that I believe you'll be less busy than you used to be because there's less things that require your attention. In the but short if you're term. insistent on having a, yeah, if you think you've got to have a full schedule every day, you're going to grab things that aren't yours. Yeah. And in the CEO role, the, the higher you go, the longer term you have to be thinking. And so what you're working on is not the day-to-day. -day. It, it may not even be this month in certain cases. Let's take a quick break and hear from our sponsors. The Impact Leadership Podcast is brought to you by Cartavera. Cartavera is a leadership development ecosystem with training, coaching, resources, events, and a community to help you grow. At Cartavera, we believe that you can't grow a business bigger than you, that your company is limited by your growth. We blend personal growth with leadership, team, and business growth to give you a single place to grow your people, grow your business, and grow your life. You can find out more at cartavera.com. Welcome back. Yeah, and, and I think what it is is that the things that you're working on, that you're spending time on, so time blocking has really helped me with this because mm -hmm. um, we have a goal of, we have a shorter term goal of being in all 99 counties in Iowa. That's what wow. we want to be. We want to be able to serve every single county. We mm -hmm. do some in-home work. And so, uh, you know, one provider can kind of do a 30 mile radius around them, right? So the idea is that, any county in Iowa, if, if a child needs in-home services, that we would be able to service um, that child. So we've got that goal, but we also have these 
longer term goals of I want to be in every state in this country and telehealth really helps with mm. that transition. And so Absolutely. I made a list of states and I said, OK, every week for two hours uh, from two to four on Mondays, I am working on states project. And that is look up the laws, look up the ethical codes, wow. look up the licensures, look up the insurance companies for each state as we go. And the system of that makes that goal seem achievable because mm. I know I don't have to do that. Like if my, if my idea was I've got to be in all 50 states and I've got this, when am I going to do that? Never. I'm never going to sit down and work on that. But if I say, okay, I've got this two hour block every week that I'm going to do something, anything. And some days it's like, just look this up and just read this paragraph, right? Like just spend two hours like Googling things and making lists of things to read later wow. is fine because it's one kind of step towards that bigger goal. And so I would say that the things that I have to do now are self-imposed. So before, um, when I was meeting with clients, it was like, okay, client session, client session, do notes, client session. Those boundaries were kind of set out for me. I didn't have to create them. I was scheduled with another person. I'm not going to miss that. I know what I'm doing every day. The challenging part and um, the part that really helped me to kind of move forward into that was that now I had to set my own boundaries. I had to set my own appointments with myself. And I have to yes, keep yes. those appointments that oh, I set with myself. It's so challenging. Time blocking helps so much with it. But uh, if I set an appointment with myself to do something, I've got to do that thing. And nobody's going to know if I don't do it. It's not going to impact anything. I'm never going to get in trouble for not doing it. So I think the biggest difference is that there is more flexibility. I wouldn't say that there's less to do, but I would say there's more flexibility on when those things get done. Mm -hmm. um, and so, which is really necessary because for example, in Iowa, we had a land tornado. Did you guys know that? Oh, Florida, you guys, you guys know all about these, but uh, in Iowa, we, we have not experienced a land tornado or not a land tornado, a land hurricane. Land hurricane. We're a landlocked. Land hurricane? Yeah, we're so Iowa, we're landlocked. It's a hurricane, but it's uh, in Iowa. And so we were not prepared for this. We had half our team did not have internet or power or anything for like two weeks. And so half of our locations were completely shut down for these two weeks. And when our team members couldn't work, I was doing those jobs. And so because I've done all the jobs at this company, I'm able to step in when people can't do those things. Yeah. And so, um, and because the things that I have scheduled with myself are more flexible, I'm able to drop everything that I am scheduled to do for that two weeks. And I'm able to fill in and do other people's jobs for those two weeks until they get power back. Um, and so there's more flexibility in it, which I think is necessary because if I was also seeing clients and I was, you know, doing like managing people I shouldn't be managing and uh, doing those day to day things, nobody would have been able to fill in for those two weeks and kind of piecemeal together other people's jobs. Wow. Well, let's talk more about time blocking. You've mentioned a lot and a couple things I see in that. I'm a big fan myself mm. for myself and for my clients. Um, and 
what I heard you say in that by time blocking, I mean, you've got to, you've got to set it. And a lot of people do struggle with that transition where they're great at being following what they're told to do and what the schedule is versus creating their own. But for me, it always gives me that great sense of movement towards the bigger goal. Mm. And I tell my clients, just you should celebrate when you actually honor that time block <laughs> yeah. because that was a big deal. And so, well, I didn't get a lot done. Well, but you, weren't, you were only supposed to get done those steps. It wasn't about finishing the grand vision, but this is a step. And it, yeah. it also allows me in person to celebrate and say, wow, that was an awesome two hours. I just spent two hours working on my vision. Mm. My grand vision. I just spent two hours. How cool is that? Versus waiting until you achieve it, which will be who knows when that's going to happen. Mm. So talk about, um, tell a little bit more about how you go about setting those boundaries. Because the, I think one of the risks of time blocking is it's really easy to move the block. Oh, my it? gosh. Yes. The block's great. Tomorrow at 2 o'clock, 2 to 4, I'm working on this. It pops up, and I go, um, no, nope. yeah, but a client had, you know, I needed to get this thing done for the client or, you know, I have this other thing, you know, things come up. I, I'm guilty. I, I keep yeah. doing that. How do we stop that, Julie? Um, I would say that, I mean, there are different kinds of time blocks. Um, so there are the ones that you do every week. And I think those are sometimes the ones that are easiest to move over into the next one and say like, Oh, I'm going to work on this again next week. Um, But what, what my role is for myself is that if I do take it off of there, because something else is a higher priority, I have to put it into another time. And so next week I have to fit in four hours now of working on States instead of two hours. Um, And for me, Anything that I choose to do um, for work that is above and beyond what I've already time scheduled out means that that time has to come from somewhere and it's going to come from somewhere that I really, really care about. So it's going to come from one of two places. It's going to come from my time that I spend by myself before, before my kid gets up. That's precious time where I get to read and I get to work out and I get to do the things I want to do. Mm-hmm. or it's going to come from after five o'clock when I could be hanging out with my kid. Mm-hmm. And the idea of doing that, the idea of saying, well, if I don't do it now uh, and I put it into next week, because my rule is I have to reschedule it somewhere. And so if I reschedule it into next week, it's got to go somewhere. And by default, that's going to push into other time when I could be doing the things I want to do, like jump on the trampoline with my daughter or push her on the swing. <laughs> those are, those are important things too. So um, it's, it's sometimes really easy to uh, pick something that maybe is like somebody else's job. Um, you know, things come at us all the time that are like other people's jobs or um, that are seem like crises, but really aren't crises at all um, and seem really time sensitive and then just really aren't um, or you give it a day before you solve it for somebody and then you check back in on it and it's solved um, and so it really is just a matter of I think for me it was like building up that tolerance to that feeling of impending doom 
<laughs> it comes with a lot of these tasks that come at us of like, oh my gosh, if I don't do it right now or today, it's it's not going to get done and all of these other things are going to happen. I think it's just, it just was practice of being patient, I guess, with the processes and knowing that um, unless it really is an emergency situation, it typically can just wait. And that also trains the people around us to also know that I'm not going to drop everything that I'm doing. Like, even if my, even if my time block says, um, you know, think about a lot of my time blocks, say think about this thing. So it's not even doing things. It's just like the first action of this project is think about it, write things. That sounds like a long walk to me. Yeah. I mean, so scheduling those things in though, I mean, those things are work. That's thought work. That's the work that we're doing in these leadership roles. And so um, those need to be scheduled in and that's so tempting to schedule over those. But um, if I do, then I'm going to have to do that thought work some other time. And thought work is really sneaky because if I don't do it during the workday, I will do it another time. Even if I don't block it out, I'm going to be doing it when I'm at the playground with my kid. I'm going to be doing it when I'm cooking breakfast. Um, it will happen to me instead of happen by me. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's two things in there that really jumped out at me, Julie. One is, because I know we, most of us struggle with setting boundaries. That's, that's a whole other topic. But relative to time blocks, it sounds like you've done a really good job of being clear with yourself ahead of time that when I say yes to something and move it, I know that it's coming out of a bucket that's really important to me. It's Mm -hmm. not a thought of, is this important bucket? It's my time or time with my daughter and my family. Mm -hmm. So, and and I think that's always a great way for people to prime the pump of boundaries because so many of us in the moment, it's easy to grab that new thing. But it sounds like you've done a good job of saying, and I know this, I've shared this with Craig before. I don't know where I heard it years ago. Every yes is a no to something. Mm. And you've gotten clear on what that no is. That no is to you and to your daughter. That's your, and so I think it's great you did that ahead of time. You talked about the importance of scheduling thinking time. Mm. I love that because I, you shared with us before we got on a book, and I'm, I can hear it coming out in you, the book Getting Things Done by David Allen, which is an amazing book. And I remember one of my big takeaways from that book was about next actions, but the reality that thinking is an action, but what I remember, it's only an action if I do it purposefully. So that, and because I can actually think and, and be present for it versus, well, I've been thinking about this for weeks, which means I'm thinking about it in little snippets as I drive when I'm not present with my friends or family. I'm getting, I'm not really there for the thinking but that's a really vital thing. I'm going to block an hour and I'm going to think about this idea right there. I love that. And I don't think a lot of people do that. The thinking is the first step. So in getting things done, um, one of the pieces that I missed the first couple of times I I went through it. So I got the next action thing because I'm a doer, right? And so people who are going to be drawn to a book called Getting Things Done are going to (laughs) be doers. Um, And so I think like, you know, I got the next action thing. I got the write everything down, put everything in your system thing, right? Because that appealed to my like, get it done, next thing, next action, sense of of how things work. 
um, what I missed the first couple of times, and actually what I missed as I was implementing it myself, until I started implementing it with my team, was this natural planning model by David Allen. And it goes through these steps, and we now use it for all of our leadership meetings. We use it for all of our planning sessions. Uh, we use it for all of our board meetings. The first step is to identify the purpose. So, uh, you know, start with why. And there are so many different resources on purpose, but um, we identify the purpose. What, is, what are we looking to achieve with this? But the second thing that I thought was just so helpful that I had not heard before was listing out bad ideas bad ideas, like the worst ones. And so uh, we get really hung up, I think, especially like high achievers or achievers. So people in management, people in leadership who kind of want to get to that point. Um, we have a tendency to think of like, oh, what is a good idea? What's a good idea I can bring to the table? <laughs> and really the best ideas sometimes come out of those bad ideas. And so um, what we do is we set a timer for five minutes after we've identified purpose and we say, okay, for the next five minutes, just write down all of the bad ideas you can think of, like the worst <laughs> ones, you know? And so like a lot of times it'll, we'll be looking at changing a form or something, you know, and hey, how do we restructure this, this form or this process? And the first thing will be like, we don't do it. You know, like we leave it the way it is. Uh, we, you know, bad idea. One bad from idea. Somebody else. Yeah. <laughs> and so, and so the purpose of that is just, we write down all the bad ideas because we don't want to be judging the ideas as they're coming out. We want to just get them all down, every single one of them. And then the next step is we organize them. So in our minds, I think tech, uh, as humans, we have a tendency to like, we get the idea, we immediately judge it. And then we only say the ones that we think are good. And then we go straight into next actions. You know, you can go, oh, yes. Ooh, that's an idea that's feasible. And then we but it's so go, efficient. What yeah. What do we do next? Right. And we leave all of this great stuff on the table. So the next thing we do, we use a color coding. So we color code it red for ideas that we don't like, orange for like, yeah, there's something to this, but it's not a fully formulated idea. And then green. And it's amazing how seven people in a room writing these down together, and we use Google Docs, so we just all type it and then it's all in one list. We color code them. And as we go through each one, some of them match up. They just are in the same category, right? And we, we put them together and we go, oh my gosh, okay. Yeah, if we did this, then this, and we could add this to it, and this goes with this, and th what is this? This is a different project. So we put that on a different project. Um, and the outcomes of that are amazing, and I'm always amazed by the solutions that we come up with that I would never have thought of those mm -hmm. solutions. And none of us individually came up with it, but together, it all comes together. Uh, and then you can go into next questions, but it takes a lot of patience not to go into next actions and to just identify bad ideas. Hmm. Well, I'm not sure. I don't know if this came, I don't think this came from getting things done. I think the group where I heard about getting things done years ago brought this to the table and it was an idea of changing the question because I love questions. And it was about getting rid of the question how that the problem is when we ask how to do something, the word how calls for a single answer. Yep. And so we tend not to come up with a lot of ideas because we're looking for one that feels like it's the good one, it's the right one. And the phrase flip was to instead of how, it's in what ways. And what ways can we do that? Which the first time I did it, I, was, I didn't 
see it coming. I thought, ah, really? It's just a couple words. And the question that we had answered, seven or eight of us, was how to do something. I think we had seven ideas. And someone said, let's try it this way. In what ways? And with that simple shift, we came up with 97 ideas. <laughs> went from seven to 97 just because we went into possibility thinking versus find the answer thinking, which is to me, there's, and people don't often believe how our brains work, but this is about feeding our brains with words and questions. And like you said, we're going to start with the bad ideas, which allows space for the ideas that wouldn't have come out otherwise. Yeah. Or they would have been judged or people have been afraid to speak them. Mm-hmm. I've never heard that one. I've heard the idea of, you know, crazy ideas, but I've never heard it called, let's identify our list of bad ideas. That's pretty cool. It primes the pump. I mean, you can all, bad ideas are so much easier to think of than good ideas. <laughs> so you can make a huge list of bad ideas uh, and, and then they kind of naturally over yeah was that easy or slow to adopt for your team i'm curious yeah um so i started with the two members of senior management who are under me um and they i started just reading the book with them so um we read chapter by chapter each week we would read a new chapter and then highlight the pieces that stood out and then when we would meet for our check-in that week we would uh, go over what stood out to us. And it wasn't until I was doing that that I realized like, oh, wow, I am not implementing natural planning model in anything that we're doing. Uh, and so we started doing it. And it was interesting because some of the other, um, some of the supervisors had not been reading this book, had not heard of this book yet. And, um, and we started doing natural planning model in those meetings. And actually, when it came time for them to start reading the book and implementing those systems, um, they were all excited for it because they had seen that it works. They had experienced this planning model and seen the difference that it made in uh, our processes. So they were excited to read it. <laughs> the first so ones that they read in. it were not excited to read so you, it. So you bought them in before you asked them to buy in. That's right. Yes. Oh, cool. <laughs> Well, this is, this is great stuff, Julie. Um, as we wrap up, you've shared a lot of different pieces of this. Is there one piece um, that you want, can offer as we close around the idea of just an idea, a strategy, a nugget around the idea of more consistently getting things, the most important things done? Um, I would say that um, integrity is something that we tend to think about in terms of other people finding us to be, to have integrity. Um, But what I think gets missed so much and what was missed by me was my own integrity with myself Um, was, was missing for a long time. Like I would just put other people's stuff in where I had made promises (laughs) to myself and I didn't value those. And so I think that what getting things done and what time blocking and what all of these things have in common is just making promises to ourselves intentionally and then keeping the promises that we make to ourselves. I always find it more difficult to keep a promise to myself than I do to somebody else. Um, So always showing up on time. I'm, I'm here. I'm going to do everything I can to, to make, you know, to deliver to somebody else. But when I set my aside, my time, I'm like, Oh, well, you know, I could, I could take a walk here. I could do this. I can, you know, 
Uh, yeah. And then my... we lose trust in ourselves. Mm. And so then that's kind of a cycle that we can get into where we set a promise to ourselves, we don't keep it. And yeah. so then the idea of setting promises to ourselves loses weight, right? We don't right. fully consider the promises that we make to ourselves, knowing that, like, well, I don't have to keep it. So sure, I can make that promise and feel better for that moment. Um, but I don't actually have to do anything with it. Um, but the, our, our own, you know, sense of self, our self-worth, our confidence in being able to do things, our competence, our self-efficacy, mm-hmm. our belief that we can do the things that we want to do or are trying to do. Those are all tied into self-integrity and we need to have trust in ourselves yeah. um, before anybody can have trust in us or before we can really achieve the things that we want to achieve. Hmm. Um, that, that is a new one. I don't think we've really talked a lot about that. We've talked about self-accountability and being integrity with others, but that idea, and it's an important one because I know for me, you know, the, the obligations that I drop most readily are the ones I've made to myself. Hmm. That's just the reality. And, and I, think they are, I think they're more deep-seated, just like you alluded to, than people think. I think too often in my coaching, this is a place people don't go to easily. Because it's so easy to say, well, this came up, that came up. But to really understand, I don't think people, I think there's a hesitancy to actually know how poorly we're treating ourselves by mm-hmm. our choices. Because that, the risk is that's going to reinforce that unconscious belief I've got that I really am not that good. I'm not really worthy of that. And I, so the best way to not have to face it is to just do for others. Yeah, and wow. as... As leaders, it makes it harder for us to hold other people accountable, knowing that we're not holding ourselves accountable, um, because then you feel like a hypocrite. And then it's harder to have those hard conversations with other people. Um, I love that, Julie. I love it. Mm -hmm. Um, So you've already talked about a couple things. Let us let people know how can they get in touch with you? And is there anything in particular you want to promote that's going on for you right now? Sure. Um, So if you're in Iowa and you're interested in counseling services, uh, we do mental health counseling, marriage and family and couples counseling in our office locations uh, and then also on the phone or over the computer. Um, And we do in-home behavioral health counseling for kids, Mm. too, which is really, really fun. Arts and crafts and baking and just (laughs) it's super fun for kids. No kid just wants to sit and do talk therapy. So um, it's it's a fun experience for the family. Uh, so you can find us at heartandsolutions.net, uh, also on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash heart and solutions. You can find us there. We post a lot. Um, on Twitter, we are iHeartSolutions. Um, on Pinterest, we're also iHeartSolutions uh, and on Instagram too. So you can find us all those places. Um, if you're interested in breathing through the year, a child's guide to holiday themed breathing techniques. Um, if you search that on YouTube, you will see videos of my four-year-old daughter and I teaching each of the breathing techniques, including a lot that she has come up with on her own awesome. um, that she's extremely proud to teach to other kids. So uh, search us on YouTube. You can find us there. Um, and then also at uh, storiesfromtheheart.shop. You can buy the book there and on Amazon. We will make sure to put all of those links uh, in the show notes. I'm looking forward to watching those videos with this amazing four-year-old. What is her name, by the way? Monica Rose. Monica Rose. So I'm looking forward to learning more about Monica Rose and seeing her in action. 
So we've already talked about uh, a couple. We've talked about at least one book. But the closing question for you, Julie, is what's the book, maybe another book we haven't talked about that you is your go-to in terms of you growing as a leader? Yeah. Um, my So there's this book is probably the biggest one, but the second one would be um, Failing, Fat, uh, Failing Forward, John Maxwell. Oh my gosh. We, we say this all the time about uh, making mistakes and making them as quickly as possible. Um, <laughs> and, you know, it's, it's kind of sometimes a race to like, okay, what can we fail at the fastest here? Um, and so, yeah, that helps a lot in so many different ways, just in like being able to take certain risks and try new things and learn new things and uh, reflect on mistakes that we make and learn from them instead of letting shame take over that experience or letting shame take over that memory and then hold us back from doing it again. We, uh, It's just a new way of looking at it. So um, yeah, failing forward for sure. Love it. Well, Craig and I are both big believers in failure. Uh, and it's, it's funny to say that because it sounds like a bad thing, but I, I, don't, I don't hesitate to say that. Yeah. I think that's one of the biggest, it's probably one of my top two or three gaps I see in leadership of leaders saying it's important to learn, to fail and to learn, but not creating a culture, including their own behavior to let that happen. Yeah. One of the biggest disconnects I see. It's a good talk, but it is people are just, I think that's that back to that vulnerability. Mm-hmm. If I fail, I'm, I'm maybe judged for failing. So mm-hmm. I got to make sure I talk a good game of failure, but don't do it. Hmm. I think the biggest, like it is really challenging, but um, it's really important as a leader to share your failures with your team um, and do it often uh, because then they can see that you are, you're doing what you're telling them to do and it's okay when you fail and it's okay when they fail. I yeah, I actually I emceed a, an event called FailCon where we celebrated and talked about, you know, how, how we move past failure, move through failure and embrace failure. It was interesting. So good. So good stuff about not just getting things done, Julie, but also about what's the, what's the journey look like in terms of moving from being the, the doer to the leader role and letting go. There's so much in this. So thank you for being here, Julie, and sharing some of your wisdom with our listeners. Thank you for having me. It's been fun. Good to have you. If you like this podcast, you'll love the Cartavera Tribe. The Cartavera Tribe is a community of growth-committed leaders who want to connect, engage, and grow themselves, their people, and their businesses. Cartavera is a leadership development ecosystem with training, coaching, assessments, and events to challenge you and help you grow. And the Cartavera Tribe is a membership like none other. You'll get live access to Craig and Jeff where you can ask questions, as well as masterminds where you can get answers from other leaders who've already solved your greatest challenges. You'll have access to additional interviews and a variety of courses, tools, and resources to help you achieve your biggest goals. We have monthly game days where we have challenges and competitive games to help you grow your leadership capabilities. And you'll get a personal growth Sherpa who will guide you to help you reach your growth goals. To find out more, go to cartavera.com. That's C-A-R-D-I-V-E-R-A.com. See you on the inside. Hi, my name is Sarah, and I want to tell you about my podcast called 
Can I offer you some feedback? I'm a business consultant and executive coach with over 20 years experience in change management, leadership development, and naturally providing feedback to high performers. My podcast is for those of you who have a complicated relationship with feedback, whether giving, receiving, avoiding, or seeking. Feedback is essential for our development. In each episode, you'll hear from real people across industries with their ideas, perspectives, and best practices on feedback. I'll also be sharing business bites with you, simple explanations of organizational tools, management techniques, and leadership philosophies that will help you and your businesses thrive. You can listen to Can I Offer You Some Feedback on your favorite podcast app or learn more at evergreenpodcasts.com.